The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Little ducks, there's trouble in Russia. So they called us. And we're going over there and bringing the most lethal killing machine ever devised. We're capable of launching more firepower than has ever been released in the history of war. One purpose alone. Keep our country safe. We constitute the front line and the last line of defense. I expect and demand your very best. Anything less, you should have joined the Air Force. <laughs> In 1995, the late Tony Scott directed Crimson Tide, a tense movie about a near-nuclear war between the United States and a rogue state. Like Das Boot and The Hunt for Red October before it, much of Crimson Tide takes place inside a submarine. The technological advancements that allow human beings to coast on, above, or under the water can be found on display from the keepers of the freedom of the seas, the United States Navy. The Navy, in addition to the Army, the Marines, and even the Coast Guard, are memorialized and honored in much of our American performing and literary arts. On this episode of ARC, I'm going to talk about how the youngest branch of the American military has been treated in popular entertainment, the branch in which I had the honor and pleasure to serve, the United States Air Force. Also, I'm going to give my review and commentary about a recent film showcasing the skills and heroism of another U.S. airman, Sully. This is ARC. God bless television. To the movies, to good movies, to every possible kind. You shall not pass! Make it so. No slices for white. Clever girl. And they mostly come at night. Mostly. I'm 37? Are you the key master? I'm Omar. Who the hell are you? Omar! Omar coming down! Omar coming down! Omar coming down! Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Arts Review and Commentary. My name is Omar Latiri and thank you so much for listening. As always, Arts Review and Commentary is brought to you by ARC's Amazon page. Click the Amazon button at artsreviewandcommentary.com to shop, save, and help this show and the Realm Network produce free, on-demand content. Do you think I'm cute, Private Powell? Do you think I'm funny? Sir, no, sir. Then wipe that disgusting grin off your face. Sir, yes, sir. Well, any time, sweetheart. Sir, I'm trying, sir. Private Pile, I'm going to give you three seconds. Exactly three f***ing seconds to wipe that stupid-looking grin off your face or I will gouge out your eyeballs and skull f*** you. One, two, three. Sir, I can't help it, sir. Oh, get on your knees, scumbag. Now choke yourself. God damn it, with my hand, I'm nuts. Don't pull my f***ing hand over there. I said choke yourself. Now lean forward and choke yourself. 
Are you through grinning? Sorry, yes, sir. Bull, I can't hear you. Sorry, yes, sir. Bull, and I still can't hear you. Sounds off like you've got a pair. Sorry, yes, sir. That's enough. Get on your feet. Private Pile, you had best square your ass away and start f***ing me Tiffany cufflinks, or I will definitely f*** you up. One of the most memorable military performances in cinematic history is that of R. Lee Ermey as Gunnery Sergeant Hartman in the 1987 Stanley Kubrick film Full Metal Jacket. Ermey, himself a Marine Corps drill instructor, used his experience as a D.I. to ad-lib much of his dialogue in the movie. The entire first act of Full Metal Jacket, which takes place in basic training in Paris Island, has shaped the public perception of what boot camp is like for new recruits and trainees in all of the American Armed Forces, mostly because of Sergeant Ermey's distinguished performance. When I enlisted in the Air Force in the summer of 2003, I attended basic training at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. While my experience was considerably less violent than the one depicted in the Marine Corps boot camp shown in Full Metal Jacket, the wit and biting humor displayed by my training instructors was no less impressive. My first duty station was Kadena Air Base in Okinawa, Japan. I was an F-15 crew chief, which meant that I was responsible for the servicing, inspection, and general maintenance of the F-15 Eagle. A more high-profile responsibility of the crew chief was to launch and recover the jets. You know, those guys with the wands that guide the jet into and out of their parking spaces and then salute the pilot before they fly? Yeah, that was me. I have a lot of memories of my time in Okinawa. Some good, some bad. Much of the bad came from the fact that our jets were the oldest in the active-duty Air Force and were prone to more maintenance than younger jets. The jet that I was assigned to, the one which eventually had my name painted on the side, was a particular mess. Additionally, we were expected to fly our jets and maintain readiness at a much urgent pace due to our proximity to North Korea. As such, we were conducting flying surges and readiness exercises and inspections on an almost monthly basis. During an exercise, we would work 12-hour shifts in full chemical warfare gear in the Okinawan heat and humidity. During one particular exercise, I was woken up by a phone call from my supervisor because I was late. The alarm had accidentally been set for 2 p.m. instead of 2 a.m., and I was now an hour and a half late. When I got to the flight line, I apologized profusely to my supervisor. And what he did in response, I will never forget. He asked me, You ever see Full Metal Jacket? I responded, Yes, sir. And then he simply put his hand at waist level and made a C. I smiled, got down on my knees like Private Pile, and placed my neck in his waiting hand. Now, of course, he didn't actually choke me, and I thought it was actually a really chill way of reprimanding me for being late. After Okinawa... I transferred to Dover Air Force Base and cross-trained into air transportation. It was while serving at Dover that I was deployed to Baghdad in 2010 at the end of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Our unit was responsible for the aerial departure of tens of thousands of troops from Iraq before the operation was officially declared over. I left the Air Force a couple of years later, but there are times when I think I might go back. I'm proud to have served, 
and it gave me experiences that very few people in the world will ever have. While serving, I became acutely aware of something a little... off. The Air Force has a bit of notoriety among the fellow branches of the military as being a bit less tough than, say, the Army or the Marines. We were called the Country Club of the Armed Forces, or simply, the Chair Force. One of my Marine friends in Okinawa mocked Air Force self-defense training when she simply mimicked hurriedly picking up a phone and dialing 911. Now, it didn't matter that we in the Air Force considered ourselves to be the most cerebral branch of the Armed Forces because of our higher minimum test standards to get in. No, the perception of the Air Force as being weaker, or even irrelevant, is actually culturally omnipresent. My own friends sometimes have trouble remembering which branch of the military I served in, because the Air Force isn't as well known as the others. Sure, at only 69 years old, it's the youngest branch of the US military by centuries, but even more than that, the Air Force hasn't been featured in many of our cinematic or televised stories, definitely not as much as the Army, Navy, or Marines. Hell, the song that you're listening to right now is from the soundtrack to Top Gun, a movie about Navy pilots. Now, that's not to say that there haven't been any stories featuring the Air Force or even airmen. They just happen to be few and far between. Sometimes, they're even portrayed as the villains, most notably in J.J. Abrams' 2011 film Super 8. But there are two movies of note that show the Air Force executing its job with gusto. The first one is... <laughs> kind of obvious. I have a newfound appreciation for the aerial action in Air Force One, especially considering that the American jets are F-15s, the jets that I worked on and fixed. But even that movie didn't show the procedural excitement of engaging the enemy as much as Michael Bay's 2007's Transformers. We need air support and we need it now. Roll in strike package Bravo on unknown target. I authenticate Tango Whiskey at time 0300 Zulu. Attention all aircraft, this will be a danger close fire mission. Weapons, I just get a call from Falcon Ops. Who's closer to Killbox 1 Alpha? Send the Hawks, sir. Okay, send the Hawks over to Killbox 1 Alpha. It's a danger close within 300 the Hawks feet. To Killbox 1 Alpha, 300 feet danger close. Friendly's in the area. Seventh man team, north of Orange Smoke. Proceed Killbox 1 Alpha, gauge hostile. Attack direction west. You're cleared hot. Strike, tell me status right one, one Dark Star status. I know I played that clip in a previous episode, but it's still a great clip to watch and listen to. Now, I know some of you are probably cringing at my utterance of the name Michael Bay, and I don't blame you. I think it's awful that a Michael Bay movie features one of my most favorite Air Force scenes in movies, but I have to give credit where credit is due. The mission of the Air Force is to fly, fight, and win in air, space, and cyberspace. 
With that mission statement, I've found it very difficult to believe that more stories haven't been told featuring individual airmen or the organization of the U.S. Air Force as a whole. It's not as if our stories are incredibly different from the other branches, but you can list so many television shows that feature these organizations. Off the top of my head, the Marines have Gomer Pyle and Major Dad, the Navy has JAG and NCIS, the Army has MASH and Private Benjamin. What does the Air Force have? The only one that I can think of at the top of my head is I Dream of Genie, and I had to struggle to think of that one. You see, I have to wonder if Hollywood will ever feature the Air Force as an organization as heroic and awesome as the Army, Navy, Marines, or Coast Guard. In the meantime, I guess I'll just have to take solace in that many superheroes are also airmen. 138. 138 combat missions. That's how many I've flown, Tony. Every one of them could have been my last, but I flew them. Because the fight needed to be fought. It's the same with these accords. I signed because it was the right thing to do. And yeah, this sucks. This is, uh, this is a bad beat. But it hasn't changed my mind. In Marvel Comics, War Machine, Captain Marvel, and The Thing are all airmen. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Falcon is an airman. In DC Comics, Captain Adam and Green Lantern Hal Jordan are also airmen. But let's not forget that there are real-life airmen that are also heroes. And I got to meet one of these heroes in real life, and I got to see his incredible story in a new movie this year. When we come back, my review and commentary on Sully. This week on the Mark and Lowell Show. I feel like there was a little bit of an attitude in something that Jonah said earlier. He said something and his response was like a yeah, but it was like a pissy uh-huh. yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about it. Like he was mad about something. Oh, yes. I'm a little concerned because I just felt nothing but love, Well, let's, man. let's first, I want to just get it out there that, of course, this was a fantastic, amazing, probably the best wedding I've ever been to. But with that said, you're back on the show, so you got to take a little ball busting. <laughs> Is that a caveat? It's a caveat. To being on the show? Yes. So I can't expect nothing but love from my friends because I'm on the show. I have to expect that there's going to be some sh- yeah, well, correct. Do you not? Do you not know Mark and Lowell? <laughs> yeah, I know. like really, I, that's the question. I mean, that's what the whole show is busting balls. Resistance is futile. It's the Mark and Lowell show. Mayday, Mayday, Mayday! This is Cactus fifteen forty nine. Hit birds. We've lost thrust on both engines. We are turning back towards the Guardia. Which engine did you lose? Both, both engines. Ignition. Ignition. Thrust levers confirm idle. Idle. Cactus fifteen forty nine. If we can get a view, do you want to try to land runway one three? We are unable. We may end up in the Hudson. It's going to be left traffic runway three one. Unable. Okay. What do you need to land? No relight after 30 seconds in your master one and two. Confirm off. Too low off. Terrain. Too low terrain. Too low terrain. Too low terrain. 
This is the captain. Brace for impact. On January 15, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 was struck by geese three minutes after departing LaGuardia Airport. The captain, a former Air Force fighter pilot named Chesley Sullenberger, along with co-pilot Jeff Skiles, guided the powerless aircraft into a safe water landing in the freezing Hudson River. The now-famous Miracle on the Hudson ended with the rescue of all 155 souls on board the aircraft. Sully, as Captain Sullenberger is known by, became an overnight sensation as a hero. In Sully, the movie adaptation of Sully's own autobiography, Highest Duty, director Clint Eastwood explores the water landing, the subsequent investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board, and Sully's own post-traumatic thoughts and nightmares in the days after the landing. Tom Hanks plays Sully with a reserve that makes Sully into a quiet guy, but not robotic. Aaron Eckhart plays co-pilot Jeff Skiles with an easygoing, approachable charm that you would want in a man piloting your jetliner. Also in this movie is New York Waterway Ferry Captain Vince Lombardi playing himself, reenacting his stellar performance that cold January day. The movie is great to watch, but it must be stated that much of the drama surrounding the NTSB's investigation is inaccurate. In the movie, Eastwood portrays the NTSB as government officials looking to punish Sully for crashing the plane into the water instead of making every effort to land the plane safely at one of the two nearby airports. By portraying the NTSB investigators as villains, Eastwood and the writers do a disservice to the heroism of all who exemplified it that day. Notably, the NTSB has been very unhappy and critical about its portrayal in this movie, and I sympathize with them. When a pilot and his crew safely takes care of all passengers on a downed aircraft and ensures their survival, there really isn't anything that happened that could be seen as wrong. It's an unfortunate decision by the producers of this movie, one that keeps it from getting a higher rating. Fortunately, the performances are worth watching, as is the recreation of the events that led to the miracle on the Hudson. But this movie affected me more deeply in two ways. First, I had just seen the movie United 93 for the first time, a week prior to seeing Sully. The memory of 9-11 is ever-present throughout Sully. All of the bystanders watching Flight 1549 glide into the Hudson must have been having the same fears. After the landing, there's a line in this movie that is particularly poignant. It's been a while since New York had news this good, especially with an airplane in it. The story of Sully simply can't be told without the knowledge of 9-11 and the way it has shaped our consciousness. And seeing Sully right after seeing United 93, hit home harder for me than if I hadn't watched United 93. The second way it affected me was seeing not just a commercial airline pilot, but an airman as a hero. A person on board an aircraft is known as a soul, and the count of 155 souls on board Flight 1549 not only tells the total number of lives on board, but also the responsibility of Captain Sullenberger. The souls refer not just to the passengers on board, but the flight attendants and the pilots as well. Sully saved them all with his training, and I felt proud to see an airman be counted as one of the best people this world has to offer. 
I met Captain Sullenberger in 2010 at a book signing in D.C. shortly after returning from my tour in Iraq. He was kind and gracious enough to let me take a picture with him, especially since I wasn't able to buy his book. I'm grateful that I got to meet an actual hero, however briefly, and I'm proud to see an airman's heroism told to audiences around the world in this movie. Four out of five stars for Sully. That's it for this episode of ARC. Thank you very much for listening. If you haven't already, like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash arcreviews, follow the show on Twitter at arcreviews, and shop Amazon through artsreviewandcommentary.com. My name is Technical Sergeant Omar Latiri, formerly of the United States Air Force and United States Air Force Reserve, and this is ARC. Seating presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network. This is Peter Rosenthal, head film critic for The Onion. Today I'll be discussing Sully. Clint Eastwood's dramatic portrayal of Captain Chesley Sullenberger's heroic emergency landing on the Hudson River, but also a sadly one-sided recounting that ignores the geese who were tragically killed in the turbines of U.S. Airways Flight 1549. Although Eastwood deftly depicts the struggles of Captain Sullenberger and the other people in the film, the same cannot be said for the geese, whose horrifying deaths occupy so little screen time they seem almost erased from a story that actually concerns them as much as the human characters, if not more so. Who were these geese? Did they have goslings? How did their flock pick up the pieces after such a sudden, senseless tragedy? These questions aren't even asked in the course of this movie. The fact that these geese will never migrate south or bob around in a pond again seems more than a little inconvenient for the filmmakers who are clearly determined to tell a feel-good tale of survival and heroism at all costs. There are indeed uplifting moments in Sully, but the film is haunted by the untold stories of the lives lost. The audience never learns that no effort was made to save the geese or even recover their bodies, that the loved ones of the geese were left to mourn and search for answers all alone. I believe it is the responsibility of a filmmaker not to sugarcoat or distort or ignore the truth, but to reveal it. Mr. Eastwood, if you will not acknowledge the souls lost on January 15, 2009, then I will. For the Onions Film Standard, I'm Peter. I'm Peter Rosenthal.